DNA from above the water and below the surface. It's who I am. Join me as I travel the world in search of the most insane fishing experiences on the planet. You got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big fish right there, Al. Yeah, baby. I'm Al McGlushen and this is Fishing with Mates. Good day and welcome to Al McGlushen's podcast. Now, we're up to episode number three. There have been a few little technical glitches along the way. Now, minor problem. Did the first one, trying to make it weekly, fortnightly, you know, really get them out there. And I had a slight issue. Somehow along the line, instead of loading it as episode number two, so it comes up on everyone's iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and all the things, all the places it's meant to be. Oh no, somehow I put it as a new show. And I still haven't learnt to turn my computer or my messages off. So yeah, so... Technology and I, as you can see, don't work that well together. But the good news is I fixed it. So now when you put it into Alma Glashen's podcast, best job in the world, and it certainly is, I now, or I should say, it now comes up as episode one, two, and now we're working on number three. So what are we doing in number three? Well, you know what? We're talking marlin. We're talking bill fishing. Because I've had, it's been unreal. I said, you know, last week or last podcast, just tell me what you think. The amount of people that came back saying, tell me how to catch a marlin. So bill fishing, or marlin fishing particularly, has changed so much in recent years. It went from where it was an elusive you know, species that very few people caught. I remember in the early days how hard we used to work to catch one, to where now everyone's catching them and everyone's mad keen on it. And you know the best part? We're letting them go. In fact, I had a mate, Bomber Farrell, who lives up in Groot Island. Now, that's up in the Gulf of Carpentier, Northern Territory side. Amazing fishing spot. And it's, it's full of sailfish and black marlin. So he came all the way down to catch a striped marlin. That was it. You know, this is it. We're going to catch stripes, said mate. Dime a dozen. You'll catch them. Not a problem at all. He caught black marlin. We've had a good run of black marlin this year, so he caught black marlin. Finally, he caught his striped marlin, and we did it through switching. In fact, he caught a couple in the end and we switched them. And that's one of the techniques that I'm going to go through today because there's a couple of different ways you can catch marlin and a lot of people just live bait, but I'm going to just talk you through a couple of different alternatives to suit the situation. So when there's not a lot of bait, when there's a lot of bait, to do the right thing to make sure you're catching fish. But first and foremost, I want to go back through and relive catching your first marlin. Now, I remember when my sister-in-law, Rach McLashen, caught her first little black marlin up in northern New South Wales. Not a big fish because you get to run every year of small blacks. It's just one of those moments. In fact, the other day we were talking about it, how Bronte, her eldest daughter, my cousin, oh, no, uncle, relative, rel- relative of some sort, she's now got to catch one. 
So catch your first Barland is something that everyone remembers. You know, there's just something about it. My old mate, Jim Penny, you know, he went for years and years trying to catch one and just could not land it. He kept hooking them, but he couldn't land one. And when I told him, I said, oh, no, I'll catch a mullen. Don't you worry about it. He's going, yeah, right. You know, that'll never happen. It's, I've been doing this for years. I've never landed one. Well, we drove out and, of course, we took the camera crew because we filmed it for Fishy with Mates, which end up on Channel 9 and uh, new, um, Netflix around the world and Sportsman's Channel in the US. And I think it's on in Sky in New Zealand as well. So everyone got to see him catch his first marlin. But the way we did it was what was amazing. We're out fishing off Jarvis Bay and drove out the front now, your continental shelf off Jarvis Bay, which is only for everyone overseas, only a couple hours south of Sydney. Drove out and the bait is insane. In fact, it's probably worth just digressing for a minute. The New South Wales south coast on the east coast of Australia has some of the biggest bait concentrations in the world. And I'm talking bigger than the sardine run in Africa or in South Africa there, the mullet run in the US and Florida. The bait is insane. I'm talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of tonnes. And the funny thing is, because it's all offshore, we don't get to see it. So you don't get to see them swimming through the shallows. So we don't realise the, the actual volume of bait that's out there. And when you fish on this bait, as everyone knows, you find the bait, you find the predators. So Jim and I have driven out, and I said, radio mate, this is how it's going to be. Drive out to the edge of the bait. We'll get some live slimy mackerel, which are tinker mackerel in the US or chub mackerel or green mackerel, depending on where you are around the world. And we'll catch those and we'll live bait them. Drops a bait jig down, gets a full string. So he's got six little bait jigs on there, catches six, winding it up. As he's bringing it up, all of a sudden he's like, yep, 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 I'm on. And the, when the bait swims up on its own, there's something chase it. So as soon as he's got them to the boat, I grabbed one, bridled up, 9-0 circle hook, fluorocarbon leader, throwing it back out. And before I've even put it in the outrigger, it's on. So I've turned to Jim and said, hey, mate, you're on. He looks at me and goes, what? I said, you're on. It's a marlin. No, I'm not. I said, you're on. Grab it. It's a marlin. So he picks it up and I go, just push the drag up slowly. You're on. So he pushes the drag up slowly and goes, oh my God, I'm on a marlin. I'm on a marlin. You should have seen it. And the best part is we did it all on camera for him. Bloody good fun. But the, the moral to that side of it is apart from catching your first marlin, how exciting it is, is knowing what techniques work when. I still remember my first marlin. Now I was way over in Fiji trolling lures and lure fishing for striped marlin's hard, but for blue marlin, it's a great way. Hooked up this fish, had no idea how to fight the fish, no idea at all. So I think it was 100 kilos or something. Took me three hours. Three hours. Oh, it was just painful. So the funny thing is that it's just, you know, I still remember every element of that fight to this day, to a T. And I caught hundreds of marlins since. In fact, now I don't even want to catch the damn things. I want everyone else to catch them because helping other people catch their first fish is one of those things that's just, man, that first marlin, there's something about it. And sharing that experience with others, Jennifer Nakamura came up and fished with us and we filmed it as well. In fact, it went into the same episode that we did with Jim. She drove all the way from Melbourne with her brother and ended up catching, she missed the first one like straight away, same as Jim, hooked up straight away and it jumped off. And a bit later on, we got another one on for her and she fought it for an hour because she's only a lightweight and fought it for an hour, did a bloody awesome job and ended up catching it. So she really earned that fish. It's the same with Bomber when he came over and fished with us. So Bomber Farrell, my mate, came down from Queensland, uh, 
not Queensland, sorry, Bomber, came down from the Northern Territory, Groot Island, and ended up catching his striped marlin. Instead of live baiting, we switched it, which is the most exciting way to fish. You know, it's it's unbelievable. But I'm going to go into the different techniques in a minute. So first up, let's look at the species you can catch in Australia. There are six species of billfish, three species of marlin. You've got black, blue and striped marlin. Then you've got swordfish, sailfish and spearfish. So a total of six. And you know what? I'm pretty proud of this moment. I've caught all six species in New South Wales. Now, not only is I'm pretty chuffed with that, I'll be honest with you, but the important part is where else in the world can you catch six species of billfish out of a couple of ports? And out of those, I've caught five of them out of Sydney. The only one I haven't caught out of Sydney is the sailfish, which I caught out of Southwest Rocks. So spearfish, swordfish, black, blue and stripe, all out of Sydney. That's pretty impressive when you think about it, that you can go to a spot and catch that many. That's Grand slams aren't that hard when you think about the potential that there are that many different species all swim around in New South Wales waters. So... With these six species, what we do is you can catch all them. The different techniques for different species. Now, swordfish, they're out. I'm going to keep them totally separate because they're a unique species. So for me, if you're offshore, the easiest way people, we used to all troll for marlin. It is good. For blue marlin, it's good because they, they bite the lure. They spearfish, it's really the only technique. Although in Hawaii, they do switch bait for them a bit. Trolling allows you to cover a lot of water, and it is a good technique for that. However, the problem we have here in New South Wales is that the striped marlin are probably, well, arguably one of the dominant species, and these fish are hopeless on lures. They cannot eat a lure to save themselves. They'll bite it, they'll grab it, they'll jump on it, they'll do everything. Finally, the hooks will pin them, and then they fall off. Drives you insane. It's so frustrating. You know, go to all that effort to raise a fish, get him on, and then get all the gear in, start fighting the fish, and he falls off. For them, skip baiting, switch baiting, live baiting are going to be better. So if you're going wide and looking for fish, trolling is a good technique. I like to run just four lures. Now, a lot of people run six, seven, four, five, just tons of lures. For me, keep it simple. Don't put too much stuff out. Don't put tons of teasers out and all the other things that might attract the fish. Four lures is all I run. And if I'm chasing blue marlin, I actually drop down to three because you hook a blue marlin and all of a sudden you've got to pull in 47 rods. Do you know how fast blue marlin run? These puppies will empty out your spool. Your Tiger 50 will be gone and done and dusted before you even get a chance. And they'll be screaming off and then you've got to fight the belly and the line. So we actually run less lures when we're chasing blue marlin. So for me, lures is a very much an exploratory style of fishing. So there's no bait, there's nothing to concentrate. You're actually covering the ground because all billfish are nomadic by nature. So they can be hard to find. I mean, you think of it, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of miles of ocean out there and you have to find a single fish. Talk about a needle in the haystack. So for that style, trolling is good. And I'm not going to go into all the technical side of, you know, you run this lure, cut face lure on this wave, you run a a cup face lure on that way because it's this color it is a science but everyone over just overdoes it each day i go out when we're trolling lures you just look at them if they look like they're working right they're not blowing out the water they're acting they're looking right then i'm happy 
Now, one thing's worth considering is that everyone thinks that lures look like squid because it's, it's got a hard head and it's got a skirt behind it. It does not look like a squid. I'm going to tell you, it actually looks like a bait fish underwater. So I've jumped in a few times and let them drive over the top with the lures out and they pulse because the skirt pulses in the water and looks like a fish swimming along. And the smoke trail that they create looks like little tuna when they're feeding and, you know, so it actually looks quite realistic. Of course, when you pull out the water and it's this hard head and the skirt just flops down, it doesn't look that realistic. But in the water, it looks realistic. There's arguments about colours and size and everything. And the funny thing I've found is one season, one lure will work really well. Quite often, the following season, a different colour, a different style, a different size works better. So the only advice I can offer you there is to always experiment and try with different size lures. You know, just I've got my favourites I run, but I always alternate the others. And if one starts getting bites, he gets a run for a while. If the others aren't working, they get pulled out. Just as a closer, and I don't want to go too much into lure fishing because I'm not an expert at it, is that if you're chasing striped marlin or finicky fish, small blacks as well, is I want you to run smaller hooks. You know, like your VMCs, uh, they call them coastal blacks, fine gauge, still very strong. Don't use your big, you know, heavy duties, 7192s and stainless and stuff. Getting the hooks into a marlin is hard enough at the best of times. It is near impossible because it's like putting it into a piece of wood. So I actually shave the barbs down on a lot of lures. I mean, I use the big, you know, 9Os and 12Os and 10Os, all the heavy stuff when I'm chasing big blue marlin. But when I'm inshore chasing striped marlin and smaller blacks, we use the lighter gauge hooks. The only thing you've got to remember is that if you're fishing on, you know, heavier tackle, 24 kilo gear or something like that, is you can't pull too hard on them because you will straighten the hooks out. They're not designed to be pulled, especially when you grab the leader, because they will pop out. And be careful. Make sure you got your sunnies on like a made out of pair of costas. And I tell you what, the hooks came out and that lure came flying back at full freight and the hooks hit the corner of his glasses. Thank God it didn't end up in his eye. It could have been disastrous. So make sure you wear your sunnies. So one thing I want to talk to you about is the season and how it works. And my focus is here in New South Wales because that's where I live, my home waters. So we have the East Australian Current. And every year that is created by wind way up, the trade winds up in the Coral Sea and through the Central Pacific, blows across, hits the east coast of Australia and then runs south. It runs, it brings hot tropical waters down further south than they normally go. So they meet with the cooler waters of the Southern Ocean this creates a very fertile environment where you get plankton and phytoplankton, which brings bait fish. Bait fish bring bigger fish. Bigger fish bring the predators. So you have this amazing aggregation of all species coming together. And it all happens in New South Wales. And what's amazing is that it runs down the shelf and during the winter it retracts to the north. And then during the summer, so in the spring, it starts building and pushing down. By the autumn months, it's running down potentially as far as Tasmania, but well into southern New South Wales and across Bass Strait. And it brings with it all these tropical delights. And it's not just marlin. It brings other species like mackerel, Spanish mackerel, king mackerel, like very similar to a king mackerel in the US, cobia, all these other species come down on this current as well. 
and it's quite unique because you're fishing further south than you would naturally fish for a lot of these species. But they're using that current as like a highway to get down to these feeding areas. Now, because you have such a, a build-up in southern New South Wales along the shelf, you get masses of bait. I mean masses and masses. Slimy mackerel, cow and young, yakkers, leather jackets, which is like a trigger fish for everyone overseas, uh, Montague mullet, which is a little weird looking fish that I can't really describe. Look it up if you don't know. Type in Montague mullet. It's a crazy looking little thing. You get red bait. You've got pilchards. You've got frigate mackerel. It's a smorgasbord. It is a massive collection of bait. And it all congregates sort of at the edge of this, you know, the the Tasman front, which is the front edge of the East Australian current because where it meets these two currents converges and it's just a fertile environment. The one we really want is the slimy mackerel. That is the gold. That is ringing the dinner gong to all the predators. And it's not just marlin and billfish that come in. It's everything. It's sharks. It's tuna. It's dolphin fish. It's wahoo. Ooglies from down deep. Everything congregates because it's like a massive smorgasbord. And to give you an idea, last season we had one of our best seasons on record. Like every day you go to sea, you catch marlin. Every day. It's insane. And you know what's absolutely unreal about the whole thing is that the bait was so thick, and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of tonnes, that you'd have to drive for ages just to get off the bait to find the predators. It was ridiculous. Like there was, and it was all slimies. Last year, I've never seen so much bait that was all the right bait. This season's a bit different. What's really interesting is that cow and young. So normally, when you find the bait out in eighty fathoms, eighty fathoms is one hundred and sixty meters for the guys that don't know, and three times that, which is four hundred and fifty-ish feet for the guys that use feet, is that normally you get cow and young, which is like a goggle eye for the guys in the US. And you get leather jackets down deep, and then you get the slimy mackerel sitting on top, normally up to about up to about eighty meters in the water. Now, these these bait species obviously sit relatively close together. They don't sit on reef, which is weird. Out in the deeper water, they just congregate along the edge of the shelf in that eighty fathom line. This year, we've struggled for bait. The currents push through, and this is really important. You need to understand how the current works. Because everyone blames we've had super trawlers, we've had all these things netting the bait. They're not actually a problem with this. The current, when the current comes through and pushes at three knots, it flattens the bait on the bottom and usually pushes it away. It disappears. So we had a good start early in the season, late January. We had a good bite off Jarvis Bay. You know, boats were getting threes and fours a day, mostly striped marlin, a few black marlin, because the black marlin, so the giant blacks spawn up in Cairns. They come down, the, the smaller fish, the immature fish, come down the east coast. So you're talking fish that are up to just one-year-olds, which is a 15 kilos. So black marlin grow about 15 kilos a year for the first four years. And at 60 kilos, so around that four-year mark, they actually slow right down. But you get a lot of black marlin coming down because they use the current. The striped marlin, who spawn up in the southern end of the Coral Sea, out off between Australia and New Zealand somewhere, it's, it's a wide-open area, that we should be looking after. You know, I'm going into marine parks, got to hit these greenies up, these morons. They lock up all these areas. They don't lock up where the fish spawn. How dumb are these people? 
surely we need to be looking after the fish and go, striped marlin are spawning somewhere off, you know, Norfolk Island, for example. We need to, that's the area we need to lock up. Oh, no, they lock up a headland and say it's going to protect the fish. As promised, every week I will bag the dumb asses because you cannot look after a fishery if you don't understand it. So stop latte sipping and get out there and start fishing so you understand how it works. Right out, back to it. So with the striped marlin then come down and utilise this massive bait as well. So you get blacks and stripes are the main ones that sit in 80 fathoms. It's interesting, blue marlin don't come in. Very rarely do you see a blue marlin inside 100 fathoms. Why that is, what the reasoning is, I could not tell you, but it's, it's quite interesting that, you know, in all my time and all my years of fishing, you don't see a lot of, I think I've caught about four inside. So it's interesting how even though all that food's there, they don't seem to want to come in as much. So all these fish start to congregate. Now this year, as I'm saying, there wasn't a lot of bait. It was really hard. So I promised everyone going, trust me, the bait will be thick as, started early. We had that good bite off Jarvis Bay, the bait all stacked up, few fish there. Then the current broke through and pushed down. Because normally you get eddies, so you're at the bottom end of the, the great, the East Australian current, and you get little, you know, whirlpools, I suppose you could call them. Wherever they are, the fish will stack up. Instead, the current's raging through, and it's pouring down out east of Bermagui now, and it's raging down. So it hasn't stepped off. So what that's done is the best bite is now way down the coast because in that fast current, there are fish in it. Don't ever think there are not, but it's like a freeway. They're going flat stick down the hill. So you can catch fish, but you're not bumping into them. You're fluking it. You know, you're not funny. And what they do is they pull out of the main current where the bait is because the bait's not in there either. And you know what? If you want to put a similarity to that, it's like a servo, like a like a takeaway shop or something, you know, you're driving down the main highway and you pull off to a service centre that's got takeaway shops and everything. That's what the fish do. So if you look at the charts, you can see where it peels off. There's a little, you know, exit, a little bit of back current there. The fish will stack up there. So it's really important you understand it. And this year with that current raging down, it's got really hard because it's it's screamed down. It's pushed all the bait away. So when Bomber Farrell came up all the way down from Groot, there was no bait. So we traditionally live bait over because there's so much bait, you're on top of the fish, you live bait around, they eat it. So we had to switch bait for them, which I might add is a whole lot more exciting. But this is the point that I'm trying to raise here, is that you need to be efficient or proficient in a number of styles of fishing so that you can you can maximise on it. So live baiting is really easy. If anyone tells you it's not, it's easy. If you've got a good sound, you'll do it. Switch baiting is a lot more technical and to get right, and it's a lot more with the crew working together and you know everyone working as a team, I suppose you could say. And skip baiting is probably a bit in between. So that East Australian current, as it comes down, so summer months you start to see it kicking off. Now, southern Queensland normally get a bite by pretty much December. Mooloolaba and all that generally a bit early because the, you know, the warm water is just starting to come down. They get sailfish and little blacks out there, which is October, November, December, January, the Gold Coast, which is largely the smaller black marlin. Once you hit New South Wales, so January you start to see striped marlin in New South Wales. Now, they don't seem to run down the, the edge. They seem to appear in New South Wales, which is quite interesting because I'm sus- oh, I suspect they come in from offshore. And they start moving, and the congregation is generally on the south coast of New South Wales. 
And by February, it is going off. That's the prime month. So the current usually slows down a bit by then and the fish are stacking up. The bait's usually stacked up somewhere and it's going off. And as I said, this season has been hard because the current's broken through and pushing down, pushed all the bait down. So as I'm talking through this right now, I should be at Eden because there's a nice little back eddy there that is full of striped marlin. Not many black marlin in it, mainly striped marlin. They're bait ball and they're doing all the good stuff and we should be there now. But I've actually got to go and do the complete angler conference because this is the other side. This is the sponsorship side. You have to go and tell the guys what you've been doing, the value for money, you know, promoting the, the angler, which is the best tackle stores in the world, I might add. Well, in Australia anyway. And doing that side. So you can't go fishing every day, which is so frustrating because I'd do anything to be there now. But at least I'm talking about it. So that water's broken through. So it's created an interesting season. So the last couple of years, Jarvis Bay's been insane. And then the bites moved down to Naruma. This year, we had an early bite up at Jarvis Bay in January instead of early February when it normally kicks off. And the fish have moved down the coast, way down to Eden. And the black marlin haven't turned up in any great numbers. They're going off in Queensland for some reason late. But in New South Wales, northern New South Wales, like you've got Port Macquarie, you've got Southwest Rocks. Southwest Rocks used to be an insane marlin spot. In the last few years, the slimy mackerel schools have dropped right off. And the marlin, of course, aren't coming there like they used to. You still get a little bit, don't get me wrong, but we're talking, we used to go there for a month and you'd regularly get 10 fish days. Now, a lot of the guys up there blame the longliners, but the longliners fish in around the boys and they chase yakas. I'm talking out the front of the jail grounds where the marlin and the slimy mackerel are, which no one bait fishes. So something's changed in the current that's changed this. So it's not the old, you know, the wrecks blame the commercials, the commercials blame the wrecks. It's nothing to do with that. Okay, techniques. Let's start with skip baiting. Now, skip baiting is pretty much, as the name suggests, you rig up a bait, normally a slimy mackerel, a garfish or needlefish, whatever you want, and you stitch it up so the hook sits just in front of the bait, circle hook, of course, it's all circle hooks, and it skips along the surface. It is incredibly effective. Like, it is ridiculous how much a fish sitting on its side, flicking across the surface, will drive a marlin insane. What it's great for is covering a bit of ground. Now, live baiting's great when you're on the bait, but when you're travelling around, the bait's a bit sparse, you know, it's not bad, or there's a bit of bait, but not really good bait. And by really good bait, I mean bait with a hard edge on it on the sounder or something like that. So you can still cover around and look as you go. And what we always do is we run one long and one short. Never put your baits at a similar distance. You know why? Because marlin, especially black marlin, are greedy little buggers. They'll try and grab both. And the amount of times I see guys sitting there, two skip baits side by side, and a mar- and a marlin comes up, black marlin, and just goes crunch, swim straight across, gets the other one. So you got to hook twice. So always stagger them. So rigging them up is an art form. We use wax thread. You'd, I basically stitch it so that it, well, it can last a couple of hours. I don't want the baits to last forever. It's not like cans and plays like that. We have to catch baits that can go for days and days. In the fishery that we have in New South Wales, there's tons of bait. So you can either catch bonito inshore or you can catch slimy mackerel or small tunas out on the grounds. 
you stitch it up quickly, basically tighten the gills in so they're tight, and a loop on the nose that you can put your circle hook through, and then just troll them around. I like to use fresh bait because it seems to catch more fish. It's the old analogy, fresh is best. The great thing is that while you're sounding around, well, while you're, you're trolling around, I should say, is you're using the sounder. For this style of fishing for New South Wales, it's all about the bait. Now the bait's down deep. So the sounder, your fish finder, will show you where it is. So for years I've run for Runo, and it is unreal at marking fish because the beauty for Runo has is its commercial gear that has actually gone back to recreational. A lot of the other brands are actually trying to make their gear better to make it to a commercial standard. Furuno, because the commercial markets have shrunk worldwide, have actually just shifted their the technology straight across to the recreational market or sport fishing market. So you get commercial quality gear that is really good. The only downside to it is you need to know how to use it. So you need to tune it constantly. You can't just press auto and hope for the best. And the important thing you've got to understand is that your sounder, your fish finder, is your eyes underwater. So I'm constantly t- tuning mine up, my 295, and it's good because it's got dials. So you dial it up a little bit just so you get the clearest picture with the most data on it. And if there's one thing I can tell you, you know when you see those pictures on Instagram and all that, perfectly clean screens that you know, look great? Well, you know what? You're missing heaps of information. I like to have my screen a little bit, what would you say, dirty with a bit of stuff through it so I can see thermoclines. So if I haven't hit a fish perfectly... I can still see it on the, you know, there's a little mark there and go, oh, that's a fish. I want to interpret what I want on the screen. I don't want the computer in my sounder to do it for me. So don't think you need a perfectly clear screen because you know what? That water's not perfectly clear. So when you're skipping around, you've got your two baits out, you're skipping around. If you get a fish up, bang, they hit it. You want it so that they come out of the outrig because we run them on the outriggers as a general rule. You want it so that it pops out easily. So as soon as the fish hits it, so you don't want a lot of tension. We, we run rubber bands in there. You don't want a lot of tension. So it steps out, free spool, fish is running, push the drag up. Now, with a circle hook, you don't have to give it heaps of time. And if you do, you know what it's doing? It's actually hooking up already because that line drag in the water, even in free spool, is still enough to pull that bait up. The fish will feel it and it will get caught. If there's one thing I can say to make sure you get the better hookup right is the way you rig it. So we always have our hook sitting off the nose. Now, in Guatemala and Central America, when they're chasing sails, they stitch it tight against, but a garfish or a needlefish is only a small bait. With a bigger fish like a slimy that's a pound and a half, some of the big ones, or you know, a couple of pounds for a bonito, is that that will actually impede on the bait, on the hookup, because the bait, the fish will feel it, you'll go to throw it, it'll get caught. So always have a little bit of gap. So as that hook comes up, it gets the freedom to roll over and hook perfectly in the corner of the jaw. Uh, we always, always have a live bait ready to go. In the old tuna tubes, you've got the hook and tuna tube sitting on, or slimy tubes, I should say, sitting on the back there. If you get a fish up, you stuff up the shot. For whatever reason, you've got to back up. The other thing we do sometimes is have a sinker ready to, on it. If we mark a fish down deep, we drop it down to catch him. Now, there's, so that way you're actually doing a little bit of live baiting as well, way of skip baiting. And the only other thing I'd suggest is while you're searching around looking for the best bait, bear in mind the tides. You always, well, not always, you generally get a better bite 
coming into the tide change, whether it be high or low. So if you find better bait and you're still searching, go back to the best possible bait as you come towards the tide change because that will be your peak period for a bite and you want to be on the best spot for it. So using skip baits is about covering the ground as well. And if you're going from spot to spot, so you find this bait, you know, you want to travel a couple of miles down the hill, don't run down fast. Put a couple of skip baits out and troll, troll them down and just see what happens. They are amazingly effective. So skip baiting is really effective when the bait's spread out and you've got to cover a bit of ground. Now, I should actually say, you're only trolling around four knots, you know, depending on the weather. You want that bait so it just bounces evenly across the surface. If it's blowing out, get a fresh one. And actually, you know what? I'll give you a hint. If you're getting a few mutton birds hanging around the back of the boat, bring your baits in because they'll have washed out or blowing out. So if they start mucking around or they peck it, change it and put a fresh one on. And always bring a couple of spare ones ready to go. So if you miss a shot, it's all about preparation. So have them ready to go. And as good as skip baiting is, it's exciting because you get to see the bite. If you're in it for numbers, there is nothing as effective as live baiting. It is absolutely deadly. Now, you get a really interesting scenario. A lot of people say, oh, there's too much bait around. That's why I didn't catch it on my live baits because they wouldn't eat one with a hook in it. Are you for real? How the hell does a fish understand what a hook is? The thing that, it's just frustrating for me. You sit there going, marlin are a predator. They t- pick the weak ones off the edge. They're opportunistic. So when they're working around the bait, all the bait moves away. And then one silly little bait stays out there. Because of course he's got a hook and a bit of leader hanging out. He's got to go slower. They will eat the one with the hook in it every time first. In, heavily, in really heavily fished places like Port Stephens, the car park, where you've got intense pressure, they definitely start to wake up after a while. But on the south coast where there's less pressure and more fish, generally speaking, you won't have that sort of issue unless everyone's intense on one area. And you see this during tournaments. If you ever have any doubt about what I'm saying, you'll see during a tournament when they're with a lot of live baiting, is it the start they start catching. The first day they catch heaps. Second day they catch less. Third day it's, it slows right down. That is because we're catching all the fish. Don't think it's about you know, only taking a few of them. Nine times out of ten, we're catching a lot of the fish and we're cleaning them off the bait and more fish are coming in, but they're not coming in as quickly as we catch them. And that's why it's so important to look after these fish. So let's get to live baiting. You've skip baited around, you found some good bait, live baiting time, you know, found a good edge. And again, it's all about the sounder. The whole time we're looking at the sounder, trying to read the edges, looking at the bait. If it's green and spread out, it means it's not a hard edge, so there's no bait. And it's funny, when you're driving around on the bait, you see it's, you know, it's bait, and then you come to this really hard edge, and the edge of the bait's just red on your furuno. You just go, there's a fish here. Even if you don't mark him, there's a fish there. And then bang, rigger comes down. So how do I live bait? So we have three rigs. You have a short bait, long bait, and you keep them well apart. Exactly the same as you would do for skip baiting. Because you know what? Black marlin don't discriminate. They will quite happily eat a dead bait and then go and eat the other one that's skipping, or they'll eat your liveies. In fact, they're probably even worse for liveies. So you keep your long bait and short bait well apart on the riggers. I also should add that the way we do it is we make a loop in the rubber bands and we feed a looper line through them. So we don't put them in the clips this time, up in the outrigger clips. We just make two rubber bands joined together 
straight onto the outrigger uh, cable and then you loop the make a loop with it and you feed a loop line through it. When the live bait gets eaten, it just slides out perfectly. If you have any doubt, jump onto my YouTube channel. You'll see how it's done on there. And it is a really good way because it pops out straight away. And then what we do is you're walking around. You can drift. You can slow troll. Really depends on the wind, current, and everything else and what the bait looks like. But the one thing critical is you have to be on the bait. You can't be driving around in no man's land hoping for the best. Yes, there are very occasional times that works, but 99% of the time, if you're not right on the right bait, you will not catch any live baiting because you don't cover any ground. That's the big issue with live baiting. Look at it this way. If you're at a, at a bistro or a bar or whatever and you're sitting down and, and it's only you've got to go to the bar to get served, but you're sitting down, so you're only 20 feet away, you can sit there all night and you will not get a single beer. But if you go straight up to that counter and order a beer, the bartender will give you one straight away. Think of it that way when you're live baiting. So if you're not right on that hard edge where the fish is, you're not going to catch fish. If you're not at the bar, you will not catch them. So you've got to be at the bar. Now, we've got two live baits, one short, one long. We also add a third one in on spin gear. So we run... Short rigger, long rigger, they're both Telecas, Shimano Telecas. But we run a third outfit that is a spin rod with a Stella 20,000. And we've got suffix multicolored jig braid on it. The reason we use this, because being multicolored, I know what depth it can be set. So when we're driving along, we put a small snapper lead on it. We sit it right at the back, just behind the stainless prop on the Merc. The reason we do this is the stainless prop on the Merc's actually attract the fish so quite often they'll be sitting at the back of the boat as i have live baits in there secondly with the sinker on there if we drive along and we mark a fish at 20 fathoms 30 fathoms stop reverse right drop it 30 fathoms 30 fathoms which is six colors because they go in 10 meter increments six colors we drop it down and you hold it in your hand and it's amazing how many fish you catch the funny thing is a lot of guys go, oh, I can't believe they live bait with sinkers. I just want to catch fish. I don't care how I do it. I do agree in tournament scenarios that live baiting, we should actually take it out. We should be switch baiting. We should be showing more skill because it's, it's a, to me it's a much better way. But if you're there to catch fish, just live bait. And if I'm going to drop a bait on his nose and get an extra fish... I'll be doing it. Don't you worry about it. Because the great the great thing behind this theory is that if that marlin's not super hungry, he won't come up and nail your baits off the top. But if you drop it down in front of him, sits right on his nose, he can't resist. It's the same as us. You put a, put a bowl of peanuts on the table or chips in front of you, if they're within arm's reach, you will pick at them without fail. Well, I do anyway. You can't tell because I'm so trim, taut, and terrific. But that's exactly what happens. If they're in the pantry, you won't go and get them. So the idea is put it right on their nose and they'll eat it. And it's the same as what I was saying before about being right at the bar. You've got to be on that edge, you know, that wall of death. That's where the fish is. So that bait has to be right on his nose. Because if the, if the fish can't see the bait, you're not going to catch him. It's that simple. So we run short rigger, long rigger, and the other spin rod sitting right at the back and we slow troll around the bait. The whole time we're looking at the sounder 
trying to find those edges. Every time we find a hard edge, we sit on it. And if you've got one bit of bait that's productive, you can slow troll up and then drift down on it. Slow troll up, then drift down on it. But if you're not on the bait, you're not catching fish. And I can't tell you how critical this is. I've had days where I fish with mates that just drive off the bait, off into the distance, and then come back and go that way. You've got to be at that bait. It's, you're still in the bar, but you're not at the counter. That's the problem. You're at the bistro or something and sitting in the corner where no one's going to serve you. Just keep watching that and be on it. A couple of other tips I'd offer for this is fluorocarbon leaders. 130, 150, 200, whatever you want. Fluorocarbon definitely seems to get a few more bites. Circle hooks, 9Os, um, VMC coastals are really good ones. And when it comes to bridling your bait, I use a Dacron bridle, which I just loop through, loop through the eyes because in front of the eyes is actually a gap on a slimy mackerel. So it doesn't hurt him. It's more like a nose piercing and it'll tie him around. You have to do it quickly. Some guys use rubber bands. I'm not as big a fan of that, but each to their own. You need to bridle that bait quickly and get it in the water. Slimies don't handle being handled too much. So you grab it, straight through, wrap around, straight in the water. If you don't, your baits won't last. That goes for speed too. If you troll too quickly, you'll kill them. You will cover more ground, but you'll kill your baits. So it's important to understand that side as well. One other element to this that's really critical is that your line doesn't run straight from the fish's nose to the boat. The fish will actually, the baits will actually swim up the line. So you'll actually have a loop of line. So they actually swim up the line. So it's harder to explain by talking about it. But if you've got, say, a 10-foot leader, it won't be 10 foot straight from the fish to the swivel. It will actually be probably about seven foot because the fish will swim up a couple of feet up the line. So they'll swim along. They'll tow quite happily, but they're not like that. And this is where you get the issue where a marlin eats it and then gets wrapped up in the leader because the leader's actually looping behind the fish, above it normally. So it's it's little things like that you need to keep in, you know, just, just understand. Again, same as when it is with when you're using... Uh, when you're running skip baits is you want a little bit of gap. So you don't want the hook too tight against the head. And of course, it's circles, circles, or circles. You do not use J-hooks if you're serious. I know some people will crack the sads, but you know what? This is about the fish. We need to look after these fish. I don't care what you tell me. If you send them away with a, a 9-0 J-hook down their guts, you are irresponsible. You're not looking after the fish these fish are too important to us i want more fish for my kids and it is a self-centered mongrel act if you go and use jayhawks if you're going to keep it not a problem at all but if you're going to let them go do not use jayhawks above that and this is you know that's the environmental owl talking you are a better fisherman if you use circles because you hook them in the corner of the mouth there is a reason that all the top fishermen around the world Use circle hooks for live baits, for natural bait, not for lures that keep that out of it. They're still J hooks. But if you're using bait all around the world, the top anglers run circle hooks from Cairns to Guatemala to Costa Rica. Everyone runs circles because they're better. A lot of guys have a bit of issue with, with circles. I certainly did when I started because you're so used to striking. If a marlin comes up, all right, let's run through the scenario. 
Trial on live bait, long rig goes off, bang, pops out of the rigger. The reel is in free sport. You pick it up, line's coming off at steady pace. Put your thumb pressure, increase it slowly, but it's still pulling off steady. You know what? Just push the drag up. That's all you need to do. Don't strike. Do not strike. Just push the drag up slowly and the rod will load up and you'll be on. And I'll tell you what, the hookup rate is that good that if you miss the fish after you've done it for a few years, you'll look at each other going, what? What went wrong? If you did that with J-hooks, every second one's fallen off. So get circles. And if you ever want to get a good idea of how circles work, get a bucket, get a circle with a bit of line on it, put it in the bucket and pull it out slowly. Every single time it will hook on the corner of the bucket, exactly as it does to a marlin as the line comes up and catches in the corner of the mouth it will catch on it so in that bucket you put your hook in there throw it in and pull out quickly it'll bounce out that's how you think about it and don't give them too much time because the hook fish hook's already been in because so what happens is marlin comes up eats it he'll chew it and turn it head first to go down they don't swallow backwards they will always eat it head first so the hook starts going down the line will naturally, because of water pressure, catch in the corner of the jaw, right in the lip there. And as they swim away, they'll feel the difference and go, what, what's going on there? Even before you start putting the pressure on. And as they do, they'll do that. So just try and go, what, what's going on here? They'll start swimming, probably increase their speed, which will mean there'll be more water drag on the line. It will pull up and that hook will naturally roll into the corner of the mouth. Every single time, you do not miss out. It just does it. If it doesn't, you're doing something wrong. So I cannot reiterate how good they really are. They're absolutely amazing. You know the funny thing? So I'm doing this podcast from my brother's place, and Rachel was talking about earlier on who caught her first black marlin, that I might add that, you know, she didn't even remember. I said, oh, no, made sure you're in the podcast. You wanted to be in it because you're a big supporter. And she, I said, yep, you're in. She didn't even remember. Didn't even remember that she caught a black marlin. Tough to keep some people happy, I tell you. Well, Rach, you did catch a black marlin. You caught it at Port Macquarie and it was your first marlin. And Bronte, we're going to catch you one. There we go. Job done. And this is also, while we're talking about people listening in, because we've had such a response, tell me what you want as we're going forward. Tell me what you like about these podcasts, what you don't like. Send in, you know, do it through social media. So you've got us on Instagram, you've got us on Facebook, you've got um, Al McGlash and McGlash Media, the two websites, which we've actually got the new all my underwater shots for all the mail and everything are all on McGlash Media at the moment so you can get a print frame. Yes, that is a shameless plug that I'd just throw in there. And of course, you know, YouTube, all these ways to contact us, tell us what you want and we'll put it in. All right, now just before I finish off on live baiting, I just want to talk a bit more about the deep bait. So when you've got your live baits out, you've got your spin gear. Now what we do with the spin rod, obviously as I was saying, you've got multicolor braid, you've got that suffix braid on there, so you know what depth. But one thing that's really important is that we don't have this line out the back. When you're slow trolling in and out of gear, it actually sits right up behind, right up behind the engine. Because what happens is, with my, I've got a Merc 4-stroke, which is absolutely awesome, probably the best engine I've used, but we won't go into that. It's the stainless prop on the Merc attracts the fish. It absolutely brings them in. 
So with the bait sitting right at the back of the boat with the sinker, it sits 5, 10 feet behind the engine. Now, there's two things that are important. One is it's right up close there. You know exactly how much line you've got it. So as soon as you mark a fish, say 40 fathoms, you can drop it straight down. You know how many colours, get it right on his nose. And secondly, it's right behind the prop. It sounds silly, but the amount of fish that I've caught on the back of my mercury is ridiculous. So these fish are swimming straight past the live baits to come up and look at the flashing silver prop. Makes you wonder, obviously, that, you know, sometimes what, what goes through their brain. They're obviously curious. They want to have a look. But it's exploiting that that's really important. Now, the other side to it, and this is for all styles of every style of marlin fishing we've talked about, from lures through to live baits, skip baits, and switching, which we're going to finish on, is the sounder. It's your eyes underwater, and I keep talking about it, but it is so important for what you do to tune your sounder so you interpret the picture and you can see the fish. So you can read the bait underwater. So when the bait's spread out and it's green on your sounder, that means it's feeding. When you get that red intensity and that hard edge on it, that means there's a predator pushing it around. You know when you see those those shows with a um, like a, a bait on the beach and stuff like that, aerial shot, see a shark swimming through and all the bait's pushing away around it? That's what it's like underwater. So that hard edge you find is what you're looking for. So you, when you're standing around, the bait's spread out, you go, oh, yep, no worries. And then you come across to the edge and it just drops off and it's hard, red, intense. Even if you don't see a fish there, there is 100% a predator on it. And it's really important that you have confidence in the gear you use. Now, I love my Faruna. I'm not, never going to hide that. But it doesn't matter what brand you use, you need to be confident with it and know how your gear works. So it doesn't matter what you use. But it is invaluable to the point now when we're marlin fishing, the whole time someone is watching the sounder, nonstop, absolutely on it, 110%, even more so than looking around because we don't see a lot of surface action unless they're bait balling. So just keep watching that sounder. Now, the final technique I'm covering off on is switch baiting, which is, bar none, the best. It is the most exciting style of fishing because it combines the best of all the worlds. So first and foremost, lures will cover more ground, correct. But the hookup rate is terrible. Then you've got live baiting and skip baiting, which cover less ground, but being natural bait, your hookup's a lot better because you've got circle hooks. So what you do, so switch baiting is perfect because you get the best of both worlds. Use two lures, and a lot of people use a lot of teasers. I like to keep it really, really simple. So I just run two lures, one short, one long, and as you're driving along, bang, fish comes up, so it's highly visual. You pull the lure away from him, and as you bring that in, you pitch a bait out. This is a very simple way of describing it. I'll go into a bit more detail in a minute. You pitch the bait out, you switch it over, pull the lure out of the way, it eats the bait, and you're on. So you're taking the best out of both worlds. It is not an easy technique. So there's a lot of, it's teamwork for first first and foremost. So you've got the skipper, you've got the guys pulling in the teasers, and you've got the angler, and everyone has to work together to make it happen. You can't, if one person stuffs up, everyone misses out. Compared to live baiting, rig goes down, push the drag up, you're on. That's it. It's actually a really boring style of fishing compared to switch baiting because you don't see any switch baiting. The fish is coming in, he's lit up like a Christmas tree, smashing the lure all the way to the boat, 
pitch bait goes out, sitting there skipping, bang, you're on. How good is that? It is the most exciting thing you can do with your pants on. Well, maybe maybe more exciting, especially big blue marlin. And it works for all species. So it doesn't matter what comes up. So you can even use light line and heavier line. So you can have a yeah, light outfit. If a smaller fish comes up, you can have a heavier outfit for a bigger one. So you can actually do it. But it's the teamwork that makes this really, really come together. So my technique is really simple. Now, a lot of guys run teasers and dredges and lures and um, skirts and, you know, daisy chains and, nah, two lures for me. Let's keep it simple. It's a kiss process for me. Keep it simple. I'm on a trailer boat too. I'm not on some big fancy boat. So trail along and we have two baits. So we have a live bait and we have a dead bait. Now, normally we pitch the live bait first. The reason being is that as you've got, so you've got the fish up, he's hot on the lure, you're winding the lure in, you pull that out of the way, the switch is there, the natural bait sits there, and it sits exactly in the same, sits there flicking, bang, you're on. If you chuck a live bait in, the live bait will try and swim away. Obviously, it's like, holy cow, I'm getting out of here as quick as I can. So it's a totally different scenario with a live bait, what you need to do. So what we do is when we're using liveies, is we just pull up out of gear, pull the gear in, throw the live in, just let it sit there. They'll find it. But it's not as exciting as using a dead bait, which is actually easier because you can use dead baits from the day before. So, yeah, it's a lot easier for that side. But you must all work together to make it work. It's one of those things that, you know, it's it's so exciting. And when everyone's getting doing it right, the bites are insane. And they're all right at the back of the boat. It's awesome to watch. So what's really amazing is how the fish are different. So you get one striped marlin that's absolutely hot to trot. He'll climb into the boat trying to eat the lure. And then the next one, you get a black marlin, which is a bit more doughy, you know, not really that keen. That's where the skill of the crew come in to try and still tease this fish into getting him fired up so that you still get the bite out of him. Sometimes you have to tease him a bit. Other times, mate, you just put the bait out there and you're on. The beauty is that you fish... So it's like you just pitch a skip bait. That's all you do. Just bring a skip bait out or a live bait. So it works in really well with other techniques. The really good part is that you can cover the ground. So you're traveling the ground. So if you're looking for better bait, you can travel with a couple of teasers out. Fish comes up, you're on. And of course, there's no hooks in the water. So you don't have a muck up with, you know, striped marlin lures and stuff. You know, that sort of thing. It's a real pain in the ass. But the most important part is it's visual that you have to keep watching the lures. You can't sit there and, you know, when everyone's trolling, got a set of, you know, and they've got hooks in them, they're all fast asleep on the deck. You can't be asleep. You have to be awake and alert and watching lures. And you need a plan. So when a fish comes up, it's like, right, you're on the teaser, you're winding in the other teaser, you're on the, you're pitching the bait, this is your backup bait, and Al's driving. So everyone needs to know what they're doing. In fact, you know what? All fishing. All fishing has that. So it's not where you do it, you know, oh, I'll just go to sleep. No, you go out, go hard and catch fish. If you want to sit there and get on the cans, start the pub. I go fishing to catch fish. Well, film them actually these days. So I don't go out to get drunk, which, well, let's face it, you can't, you can't have a drunk skipper. If you did that, let's go for a booze cruise. Instead, we're going fishing Let's make it where everyone works to catch the fish. It's the only way. Make it more professional. It's always been a struggle for me when people go, oh, yeah, we'll just get, you know, getting on the cans. I'm going, no, I want to catch fish. 
I still remember one day, ages ago, fighting this really big tuna. And everyone's talking about, you know, let's have a few beers. I'm going, this is one of the biggest tuna I've ever seen. Stop talking about it. Let's catch this fish and then let's go straight to the pub and celebrate. And we end up losing it. So that's now comes to, so really I've gone through all the techniques. But do you know what? There's so much more to go through in detail. So send me some questions. Ask me what else you want to know because I've really only briefly touched on them. Because now what I want to do is just talk quickly about how we catch these fish. So once you hook up, what you do and how you get them quickly, because this is trying to help you go through the whole process of which technique to use and how to catch them. And we want to catch them quick so you can catch it, let it go, and then go get another one. So with circle hooks, as I was explaining earlier, do not ever strike. Just do it nice and softly, put your thumb on the spool, you got weight, you're on. Once you're on with a circle, the beauty is it doesn't matter if you get slack line because they don't fall out as a general, you know, you, sometimes you get hooked in a weird spot, but 99% of the time it'll be in the corner of the jaw, sitting there perfectly. So then it's just a matter of outsmarting the fish. So you don't have to panic. There's no need to scream and yell and shout and carry on that some boats seem to do. When we hook up a fish, got him on, we'll generally try and hold a second bait in the water to try and get two on. If we don't get a bite, we end up with one, we try and chase him down. And what most fish will do is a very similar thing. So they'll come up mostly, you know, blue marlin will scream off straight away, but stripes and blacks will generally, blacks will start jumping a bit and cavorting, and stripe will generally shake its head and carry on a bit and then start jumping. If this doesn't work, what the fish then do is go deep. And what everyone does, and it's such a common mistake, is they fight the belly and the line. So the fish goes down to 30 fathoms, and starts tracking, let's say, east. So he's tracking along, and what you do is you follow him. So all it is is the same thing, and there's more pressure on the angler than on the fish. Instead, what I want you to do is when that fish goes down, sits there and starts going east, don't follow him. Drive around in front of him, work out which way he's going, pull that belly out of the line, and change it. So think of it this way. You've got the dog on the lead, he's pulling against you. He's always pulling, and if you're walking down this path, he'll just sit there pulling in front of you. Same with the marlin. So he'll just keep pulling along. So what we want to do is get around in front. So if your dog's pulling that way, if you turn around and start pulling the way he was pulling, he'll turn and go the other way. You'll, you'll, razz, you'll razzle him. He'll just be like, well, well, what's going on here? So what you need to do, and it's hard to, for, for new anglers, is you lose a little bit of line as you get over the top because what you're trying to do is get over the top of the fish, pull the belly out of the line and change it. And as we do that, I'm watching for the anglers to tell me as soon as they get a head shake. So think if I brush my hand across someone across your face now, you'd flinch away. So the line which is running out the corner of the jaw, back down the body and up towards the angler, so you're not even fighting the fish, you're fighting the belly and the line. As we wind that belly out and go across the front of the fish, that line will naturally brush across the fish and it will flinch straight away and go, whoa, 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 and change. We want those fish to change their attitude because they're set in their way, they're just swimming along. They don't understand. It doesn't hurt them. So that hook in the corner of the jaw isn't hurting the fish. Instead, the fish just doesn't understand why there's a pressure there that's pulling it. But as soon as you change that pressure... What do they do? 99% of the time, they come screaming up out of the water and give you a chance to catch them quickly. If they go back down, get around in front of them again. 
Do not follow a fish. You can't follow them. You need to dictate the fight. So if you keep doing the same thing, going round and round and round and round, the fish is quite relaxed. So we often, we use a lot of reverse, you know, we go forward, we go back. If a fish is coming up, and this is particularly so striped marlin, after they've jumped a bit, they're tired, they'll nearly always go down sea. Sit there with the current, cruising along. And what you do is you edge the boat in towards them. Don't race in, just come in, edge towards them, and you can get right up on them and grab that leader with them out even knowing that you're on it. So there's little tricks like that. But the key is do not do the same thing over and over again. If you do that, the fish will settle, and that's where you hear about these long, massive fights of, you know, three, four, five hours, because the fish has settled and you're not putting any pressure on it. And you know how I know? Because I did those fights. I did those long fights. I had no idea what I'm doing. Drag it out. I remember my first man I caught in, in uh, where was that, over in Fiji. It took me three hours because I had no idea what I was doing. That same fish now, I'm catching in... 15 minutes so it shows you that and don't be afraid to push the gear but this is a really important part to it is fresh line and i cannot tell you how important it is now a spool of say suffix 24 kilo 37 kilo is really expensive because it's good stuff so what i do is i back spool all my reels with braid so i've got suffix 832 on everything and then i top spool with mono and we're only talking 100, 150 yards. Because do you know what? A 1,000-metre spool, if I'm doing, you know, say 100 yards, that's 10 top shots I can put on it. That means I do the whole season because when you're catching a lot of fish, we're replacing that top shot every single week, even daily at times. Now, imagine if you had a full spool of line. You'd be trimming down and trimming down and cutting down. So you back spool it with braid and top spool it with mono because at if you're on these fish, you don't even get to see the braid 90% of the time. That is a real tip for saving money. And most importantly, that when you start putting pressure on these fish, there's nothing in the line that's going to go wrong. Because your line, even with a lot of string out, there's other fish in the water, there's debris, there's God, jellyfish, whatever it is, stuff that could abrade your line. It could even be your rollers or something in your rod, something like that that could be dirty or something like a little bit of salt in there million things, even going to sea, your lines are sitting there. And what if they're rubbing against the side? You don't know. So for me, it's constantly replacing that line. And even when we go out, every time we're running to sea and we're putting a line in the water, the crew are running that line through their fingers and checking it. Because the line is relatively inexpensive in the scheme of things, but it is vital to what we do. And do you know what? If you run your hand over and go, oh, a little bit of brazier in there, She'll be right, I'll do it when we get in. Now, cut it off, put a new double on straight away. Not a question at all. Put it on immediately, replace it. Because that's the one I guarantee the big fish is going to grab every time. So, with fresh line on it, and I've got to also actually mention, when it comes to swivels, I've been running those little Halco ones. And yes, do you know what? This is a blatant promotion for Halco because they're bloody good lures, but they also make the best swivels. They are unreal and they're not too big. So you don't want massive swivels. So because I use, so the way I said it is I have a double down to a swivel and then a 10-foot leader. 10-foot because it, with my boat, 10-foot I can get right up beside them, grab that leader and get rid of the fish quickly. 
the important part is why I don't run short leaders is because at 10 foot, once I'm past the swivel, I take a wrap and hold, we can snap the fish off so that all that's left is the hook in the corner of its mouth because it is so important that we look after these fish. Now, hook in the corner is fine. If it swims off with all that line hanging out or we're still a swivel attached to it, that is something that barnacles and all that can join onto and, you know, end up creating a ball and chain. Because for me, it is so important we look after these fish. I know I harp on this, but this is true conservation. It's the fishermen doing it. Every fish I let go, I want it to be 100% survival rate. And I don't want, if it's not going to survive, I'm not letting it go. I'll take it home and smoke it. And I want every marlin to swim off because they're just too good to catch once. So that brings us to, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. So as we bring the fish up to the boat and you grab that leader, just go gently. You don't do, you know, you send them taking massive wraps on it and stuff like that. We're normally using that sort of 100 to 200 pound mono. Generally, it's going to be fluorocarbon for leaders. So some fluorocarbons are quite brittle and snap quite easily. Others are quite strong. Give or take. It's one of those. It's one of those ones that, you know, your preference for knotting and stuff, they can be harder too, but they definitely get more bites. So we take a gentle wrap and just pull the fish in gently. At the same time, the boat's going forward. So your skipper and your deckhand are talking. Obviously, angler is now stepping back and dropping the drag down. And as you bring the fish up, if it snaps, I don't want it to, you know, I don't want that fish getting in trouble at the boat and smashing in the side of the boat for, him, for himself and for us, for ourselves as well. We want it and we ease it up into the boat, right beside the boat. If we want a photo, otherwise we just, we don't net generally cut the line because we generally put a bit of pressure on it and snaps off, the fish swims off. So it's not that hard. But again, just like with switch baiting, it's all about teamwork. But for me, the best part is watching those fish swim off. Like, they're so beautiful. I'm jumping in the water now. I'm watching them swim off. And you know what? We have it so good here in Australia that we can catch all these fish. And in New South Wales, all six of them, right on our doorstep. How good is this? Like, it's just one of those things that people don't realise how amazing it is. And as anglers, it's our responsibility to look after these fish because I want my kids not just to catch... If you and I go and catch two marlin, I want our kids to go and catch four. And we need to look after them. Nothing wrong with taking one home to eat, but otherwise let them go and let them grow because the more marlin, the better. So that is it. Another podcast done. We've had a few hiccups along the way trying to learn, but I have to say I am absolutely overwhelmed by the response. And it's been a really, a real pleasure for me. But I should, before I go... I've got to thank all the sponsors and everyone that's involved with it that's played a role in it. The boys at Mitsubishi, you know, Mercury, those new four strokes. Oh, God, they're good. You know, Suffix and VMC. We've got Halco. And I'm going to do one, actually going to do a whole podcast with the guys from Halco because they have been supporters for almost 20 years. Still have the best lures out. But do you know what? For me, sponsorship is not about business which probably should be instead it's about working with people i like because if they've if i like them they've got passion if they've got passion they've got a good product you know it's the same with the boys at complete angler they're all mad keen fishermen no wonder they're best tackle shops and then you've got club marine which i've worked with for years and years for insurance people they're bloody awesome because they're all mad keen fishermen this is great 
Yeah, and I've just put, for Reno, we've talked about that. I've given them a real plug this whole way through. But you know what? It's because it's the best. The interesting thing is for me is that I don't have a backup to go to. I fish. If I don't catch fish and get photos and stuff, I don't make any money. So I can't fall back on a tackle shop. I can't fall back on a fish and chip shop. This is the job full. So I can't just because someone offers you more money and goes, come with us. I can't do that if it doesn't work the best for me. So everything I endorse is stuff that I genuinely believe in because I have to use it. It's not something I just go, oh, this, this is the one for me. It's all about this is the product that helps me catch more fish. So I honestly believe in everything I work with and hopefully that will help with you guys as well. Same with Costa, you know, the Sunnies. They're the best ones I've ever used. And Yeti, my coffee. It keeps my coffee hot. And I drink way too much coffee, I can tell you that. You can never have enough coffee. Even the boys at Hook'em, you know, they're all old mates. They build my outriggers, they build my tuna tubes or slimy tubes. All these guys are all, all good mates that we work with and it plays a really important role because, you know, when you do a job like mine, 24-7, there's no time if you, if, for people you don't like. You've got to work with people you like and I like people that are passionate about fishing and, of course, catching lots of marlin. DNA from above the water and below the surface. It's who I am. Join me as I travel the world in search of the most insane fishing experiences on the planet. You got it. Oh, yeah. Big fish right there, Al. Yeah, baby. the size of it. I'm Al McGlushen and this is Fishing with Mates. Yahoo!